Welcome to our social landscape. I'm J.R. Woodward. I started our social landscape as a blog only with no real thoughts or plans to make it a podcast as well. But early on, my friend R.T. White sent me a link to a podcast by Scott Carrier called Home of the Brave, and that opened my eyes to the possibilities that I hadn't yet considered. Before Home of the Brave, I'd only listened to a handful of podcasts ever, at all. But I was hooked and ended up listening to all the episodes. It turns out Scott's a veteran of written storytelling and radio. His work has appeared in tons of outlets, including This American Life, All Things Considered, Hearing Voices, and The Savvy Traveler. He's a Peabody Award-winning producer, the equivalent of the Pulitzer Prize for TV and radio. Three things grabbed me as I listened to his work. First was his voice. If you ask someone, what would an award-winning NPR-type storyteller sound like, you'd end up with Scott Carrier. Second, he gave me a template going forward. When I began our social landscape, I tried to put something out on a regular schedule, but found it stressful. Home of the Brave came out whenever Scott wanted it to. There was no self-imposed restrictions that I could tell, at least. And this eased my stress. Eventually, I realized the point was for me to enjoy what I'm doing, and stressing over these self-imposed deadlines was not enjoyable. So I took heart from Home of the Brave that things don't need to be so rigid. Finally, I was impacted by the humanity in his stories. He has written wonderful pieces about nature, the environment, rivers, lakes, trees, and bears. But he also seems to have a profound sense of concern for humans and our ability to live with one another, or not live with one another. As I mentioned in the interview, it was hard for me to listen sometimes to his interviews with people with such sadness and fear for our collective future. I don't actually remember what home of the brave story my friend R.T. sent me back in 2020, but I do remember the first one I listened to after that, which sent me down this path. I'll link to it in the written post for folks to check out. It's a short one, about eight minutes or so, called Time to Get My News from a River. The honesty, heaviness, and introspection reeled me in, and of course, the voice. Though based in Salt Lake City, he's in the process of building a home in southeast Utah, and we spoke from there by phone recently for an hour or so. My reasons for starting our social landscape don't have much to do with Scott Carrier, but the way I do it and the approach I take is completely because of Scott Carrier. survey question in my I have a class called social problems and it says do you feel things in this country are generally going in the right direction or do you feel things have pretty seriously gotten off on the wrong track and I'm not sure what social markers you would use um, but I thought maybe we could start there and uh, my last interviewee Jebloy Nichols pointed out that the question presumes we were ever on the right track so you know using whatever markers you would use how would you answer that question well, I don't know. What have other people said so far? Almost all. <laughs> you turn the question around, man. You're a good, good host. Uh, <laughs> most of my students um, say they think it's gotten off on the wrong track. But again, how you define wrong track is is kind of up to the you know to the to the listener. So that's why I was wondering. No, I'm just thinking. I don't know. Okay. I mean, it's hard to figure out how to start. Well, how do you answer it? I just want well, to be curious of like who I'm talking to and what mm-hmm, sort mm-hmm. of context sure. it's going to be yeah, presented. Sure. And that's why I'm asking the questions. And it's kind of a big sure, sure. question. So how do you answer that same question? I don't think, I, I think I kind of go with what Jeb Lloyd Nichols said last couple of weeks ago that I, I, I think it assumes that we were ever on the right track. And I don't, I don't know that we, we <laughs> ever, we ever were. Um, I think, you know, if you were a certain demographic in the country, um, then it was the right track. But for many people, um, you know, people of color, for example, or, you know, women and different sexualities and things like that, I don't know if it's ever been on a good track for them or people that, you know, essentially just don't have a lot of money. Um, in sociology, in your brand of sociology, how do you, what's the methodology or what's the structure that you use for studying social things um right now sociology is pretty positivistic there's a lot of data analysis um there used to be a lot more 
qualitative research. There is, there still is, um, but it's kind of much more quantitative now. Almost if you look at a top sociology journal, it looks like a economics journal, just data, 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 charts, charts, charts. So there's a lot of um, data analysis being done, but there is there is kind of maybe a small resurgence in the more open-ended research, uh, qualitative research. Right. Sorry to ask so many questions, but I just I don't really know. I guess I don't really know how to answer the question. I look at things in terms of culture, the evolution of culture. And I think it's mainly an energy-based system. And the you know, if you look at the energy flows within a culture is probably the best way to understand it. And so I think now we're at a point where um, civilization as a form of culture is bringing about climate change that's, you know, kind of putting the future in doubt in a lot of ways. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's mainly the number of people, mm-hmm. population on the planet, but it's also this form or structure of civilization, which I see as a pyramid. Um, you know, like the pyramids in Egypt or ziggurats in Latin America, where the people at the top have basically impunity and are thought to be like gods or gods themselves. And the people on the bottom are slaves with no rights, basically, at all. And, you know, we now have a capitalist economy, but I think they're all civilizations are to some degree capitalist. In that they, you know, people pay upwards. The money goes upwards and force and violence comes down. And the pyramids are class pyramids, you know. Yeah. The people on top all the way to the bottom, different classes, and that's seems to us now is the only way. It's the only way it's ever been. We don't really not used to thinking of things in any other terms than civilization, but it's really new. It's only about ten thousand years old. And before that human history, maybe half a million years, 200,000, some people say it's a long time before 10,000 years ago where there weren't classes. You know, there, within the culture, within the group, there weren't classes. Maybe they thought, at least definitely different groups or different cultures certainly thought of other groups and cultures as subhuman. Mm-hmm. I think that would count as a class. But civilization has worked so well. Too many people on the planet burning too much energy, creating too much pollution that's changing you know, the biosphere in ways that are very difficult to deal with. And basically, I don't know if we can. I don't know if we can stop because these pyramids are like, they're all about consuming and burning energy, about power. Growing bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger, and they don't. So far, I don't know if there's an example of a civilization realizing that's a wrong path and reversing it, mm. using less energy. It's always they always go until they burn out. They get really big and then they burn out, and I think that's where we are now. In the process, sort of the end end of civilization. Okay, so in the process of burning out. Yeah. And um, I don't know what's going to happen. We can't go on much longer like this on a planet. It's a species on a planet. And, you know, the war in Ukraine worries me for that reason. <laughs> One way to get rid of people is big nuclear war. Right, right. Or to, and it just looks like an escalation to me. What's happening? It's getting bigger and bigger. And at some point, they're going to drop the big ones if it keeps going. Mm-hmm. 
So hmm. I don't, I don't know if we can stop it. You know, if there's something to do, because I don't know if we're in control of culture that as much as we like to think we are more of a system we're just parts of it um, that's kind of how i look at it and i you know i think within that our pyramid power and all pyramids of power all civilizations that a lot of what's happening is the people on top are lying to the people on bottom about the way things are in order to justify their position and the position of people underneath them Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that you know the justification of it involves the biggest lie there ever was and I, it's almost always that God favors and blesses the people on top the righteous people and he punishes people down lower because they're wicked and people believe that all throughout his you know, last 10,000 years of civilization it's just been accepted and the communist revolutions to try to destroy that pyramid power apparently didn't work. Nobody liked it, wanted to live a communist system. Seems like oh. they didn't work because nobody wants to be equal to everybody else, I think. All right. That's really boring. And there's no hope for becoming better. Becoming what you imagine you could be takes away that hope. And that's a very powerful thing, the desire to be something better. It's almost like if we didn't have kings, we'd have to invent them mm-hmm. just to satisfy that. Someday I will be king. Yeah. Or queen. Right. It's unfortunate because I don't think... Uh communism or socialism as written at least um require that everybody's the exact same but i think people view it that way and then well where is our you know our creativity going to come from our entrepreneurship going to come from if we all have to be the same and i it was never intended to make everybody the same but that that narrative i think has given it kind of a black eye as well as you know of course graft greed what do you think it was intended to be uh, recognition, recognition that there would still be some differences in humanity. There's, it doesn't get rid of all forms of differentiation. It's just the ranking of them through a lens of power would be what would be challenged and kind of like in the writings. I don't think it's ever actually been practiced, completely practiced. Uh, that way, but not, nothing is. Capitalism hasn't completely been practiced the way it was envisioned by many people either. But the idea, at least, was more of a an equality of of kind of outcome, maybe. But if you want to use these current terms now, but not um, that everybody just gets the same amount of you know bread and grain, regardless of your size or where you live or what part of the weather is like and things like that. So I think people just. I think it's just easy to say, ah, oh, it's too robotic. We don't want to be like that. And then they throw the baby out with the bathwater. And that's my opinion. Yeah. What is your 10,000 year cutoff you're, you're mentioning? I think it starts with irrigation. Okay. Um, just too many people. Uh, too little water along the rivers so they built canals and irrigation systems and to do that you need slaves okay large scale anyway you can't the mormons out of here in the west did it with small communities they built canals mm-hmm. for irrigation but large scale requires you know a huge number of people working okay yeah with shovels and wheelbarrows and stuff and i think it started about 8,000 BC. Okay. And to get those large number of slaves, you got to have a class system and to justify the class system, you got to have kings. Right. Who are close to God. And um, that's what started happening different places in the world, usually along rivers. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm t- answering your question there. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like sedentary agrarian populations, not the hunter gatherers and things. Once they started settling down and farming in large, large communities and things, this seems like okay. Settle um, down. Agriculture led to civilization, surplus, food. Yeah. I don't know. It's yeah. um sometimes I think about the first day of class of a class system hmm. just a thought experiment like everybody that you know everybody you live with maybe a few hundred people are meeting and somebody says okay from now on we're going to have rich people and poor people and kings and slaves we're going to divide up like this and do things differently Who's going to be the kings and who's going to be the slaves? Who's going to be the middle class? Did they fight over it? Mm. Or did they know? <laughs> right mm-hmm. from the beginning. Who was, was it going to be what? Was it just like size? Was like the biggest dude in the room, the one who got to push everybody around and that was it? I mean, I don't know. I mean, yeah. it's so far, we've been living that way for so long now. I don't know. It's hard to think about that day. Or that time, I'm not saying it was just a day, but just as a thought problem, how did it actually start? Mm-hmm. Where people said, "Okay, yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm, a, I'm happy as middle class. You know, get some chance to move up. Not poor. Got some stuff. Not as bad as those poor bastards over there. Mm-hmm. Maybe my kids will be somehow accepted in the royal family someday. Those are that's the most dangerous class, I think." And I'm part of it, but I don't know how it's going to play out, but I don't think it's going to be. I think we're on a downward spiral, faster and worse, you know, exponentially, maybe faster and worse. That was a question I was going to ask is, do you see a path forward? You know, is there a realistic path forward? Like if you had a magic key or, um, or do you think based on what you've been saying so far that, um, that there's really any kind of, I mean, do you think any kind of progress would just be superficial and really wouldn't be genuine progress or is there still, there's still an angle and out? Well, yeah, it's really always trying to figure a way out. If only this, if only things were like this, if only we did this. Right. But when have we ever used less energy? When have we ever conserved? When have we ever China? Is a good example, I guess. They, their population has a slightly negative growth rate now, which is interesting. They were able to do it, right? But anywhere else on the planet, it's like nobody even talks about it. Mm-hmm. It's really the main problem. If you look, you know, just objectively around, there's just too many people using too much energy. We're not. We don't seem to be able to reverse that trend. Yeah, the trend is to to go bigger. Yeah, growth, and, and that is kind so of the mantra. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you know, just kind of tired of all the accusations. On one hand, you, these people are to blame, or this is to blame. This is how we fix it. And meanwhile, things just keep getting worse. Yeah, like there's a war in Ukraine. Yeah, you know, we spend oh a trillion dollars a year on defense, almost. Probably now. The budget is, uh, they're trying to figure out what to do because the, we're going over the federal budget, how to deal with that. Nobody even mentions cutting the military budget. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to send tanks to Ukraine. I don't, you know. What do you think about the war over there? Yeah, I have the same fears. I, what's interesting to me is how little you, we hear about it now, just on regular, regular news feed, media news feeds. Um, it all like, sounds like propaganda to me. It yeah, sounds like, like propaganda. Yeah, uh, like it's over or something. Like we just, you know, every now and then the he- headline, it's like just almost being swept under the rug. Um, you know, unless you have direct involvement in someone over there or someone in the military or something like that. I think most people here are just moving along their life as if it's not even going on. Yeah. Yeah. 
the environmental question, what I, what I've kind of always kind of stumps me is I, uh, have read this uh, a man named Vaclav Smil, who's uh, who's researches uh, environmental issues, and he's a pretty interesting guy. But he said, uh, I want to paraphrase, but basically, even if we stopped producing emissions, high CO two, whatever, like now, just overnight, could stop it. There's still so much still out there in the environment that's going to have an impact for years and years. And so the first real beneficiaries of that, if it could even happen would be, you know, maybe our kids or our grandkids. And he said, how do you get a human being to value what's going to happen 50 years from then as much as it's what's going to happen to them tomorrow or even today. And that's a really difficult question when it's, when it's kind of posed that way. And it does make me kind of throw up my hands like, if you don't, unless you can force people to stop, I don't know who's just going to willfully back up and back off, like you said, just reverse that trend. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, in a lot of ways, the environment is sort of in danger or threatened by humans, many humans. But in other ways, biospheres really still seems to be pretty healthy in a lot of ways. You know, like they're really nice days. Mm-hmm. We still get snow. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not forest fires every week. The air isn't filled with smoke, you know, every summer so far. And, the, you know, a lot of things in the world just keep going. Um, a lot of things in the world are really fine. Um, you, you know, you can look at it that way. I look at it that way because this place where I'm trying to build a house is really beautiful. And the weather's just been amazing this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got a lot of water, this, a lot of snow this winter. So my thing is just to try to enjoy that. You know, yeah. like during the pandemic in the beginning in 2020, in the spring, the air was really clean. It's like usually, even in the West, where there's not really many people or industry, now the horizon is smeared with kind of yellow-brown haze. Mm-hmm. But during the pandemic, everybody was staying home all around the world. <laughs> the air was blue on the horizon, like back in the 60s. <laughs> right, yeah. And there's nobody on the street. You know, I was making big GS turns on my bike all around Salt Lake City because there's no traffic. Right, right. It seemed like a good place again. Yeah. Um, It's too bad we can't just pay people to stay home. (laughs) Right. We need to get rid of the number of people. That's that's the solution. Reduce the population by 80%. Or at least half. Mm. But that's not going to happen unless there's a real big... I mean, it's going to happen, I guess, slowly. Um, could happen fast, like a nuclear holocaust type thing. Mm-hmm. I would guess the Earth's going to continue on long after we have stopped fucking with it. It's going to outlast us. You know, the We're seriously Im- impeding our ability to live on the Earth and other for some other species to live on the Earth. But the Earth, I would guess, is going to... If it doesn't happen fast, maybe the Earth finds a way to get rid of us, you know? the Yeah, hopefully <laughs> it'll be like that. But then look at Mars. Hmm. Now, Mars used to have a biosphere, I think. It had rivers. Okay. So it had, you know, we know that it had rivers. And so it had an atmosphere, clouds, because you can't get water uphill except by clouds to run down in a river, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if there were rivers and clouds, it's not that much of a jump for me to think that there was life there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Flowers, animals, things. But now look at it. Mm-hmm. What What happened? What happened to Mars, the biosphere of Mars? Hmm. Apparently, they come and go. And so this planet could end up like Mars. Okay. I don't think it's that outrageous to think about that. 
so you know yeah if earth is like mars everything that ever happened here is just gone and will not be remembered or seen or discovered most likely for all of time and eternity mm. would be non-existent basically never happened and that's really sad <laughs> you think yeah, yeah why? It's very why? Sad what's that thing. matter why does that matter if we're remembered for being here or not well we you know we live thinking that there's purpose and importance and wonder and beauty and uh, you know we act as if things will be remembered it would be hard to live to think that at some point maybe in the not so distant future everything will just vanish hmm. can't think of anything more i don't think depressing is the right word it's somehow worse than that <laughs> that's a, a good segue if you have time for one last question if we had a better sense of the biosphere uh-huh. i think that might help if we could think of things in terms of whole systems you know like buckminster fuller type thing it would help but it's hard to do that. It's hard to think of the whole biosphere. I've traveled all around the world, most you know continents anyway, and you know have strong memories from different places at different times. But to hold them all in my head at once or to put them together is difficult. You know to have a conception of this thin membrane of life. Mm. It's only like from the bottom of the ocean to the top of the atmosphere mm. uh, where everything's interconnected and interrelated instead of all cut up into nations and cities and counties and so on, families, races, classes. It's hard to think of things as a, you know, it's hard to think of the biosphere. I've got that photo from outer space but I was reading that photo back from back in the 60s. Huh. And there hasn't been a new one. There's a new one, but I haven't seen it. I don't show it. Because I'm afraid now there'd be a lot of pollution. I think instead of white clouds, you'd see a lot of brown, yellowish clouds. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's not such a pretty picture anymore. Yeah, I would think it looks different for sure. Do you have time for one more? Yeah. Um, the late communication scholar George Gerbner once said that um, the telling of stories has always been the principal shaper of human behavior. And when I first heard it, I you know I kind of scoffed at it, but then I thought more about it. And you can cave walls, oral traditions, religious texts, whatever. Um, and you tell stories, right? You write stories, and you actually often tell stories, specifically tell them. And I don't know what you're currently doing, your current projects, what you're going to be doing going forward if you're retiring to the woods there in, in Utah. But uh, what do your stories tell? You've written a lot of stories over the years. And if stories shape behavior, how do you think some of your stories have done that shaping? Um, I don't think my stories matter like that. I don't think they've had any impact. Um, I mean, for me, they've had an impact, but I don't think much besides that. People read them or hear them, but I don't think they have changed anything. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Did you write them in order to, as an attempt to change or just write things that were on your mind? Or was there an active, you know, kind of a conscious effort that I need to say something about this and hopefully people will listen? Yeah. I mean, I thought it was my job, my responsibility. And I did write them and do them thinking that maybe things will be different. It's, you know, these stories, if this, if people knew about this, maybe things would change. Definitely. And the people I admire did that kind of work, like Charles Bowden. Mm -hmm. Always believed very strongly in that. And I think you have to in order to do the work. 
you know, to do the work. Um, because otherwise there'd be no real motivation. Um, but, you know, if you look at the evidence of the results, it's like things don't change, really, because of what Bowden writes or what I write. Because, I mean, like, for instance, the immigration problem, people coming across mm-hmm. southern border, the only way to fix that or change it is to make it so they don't want to leave home. And, you know, luckily, most people don't want to leave home. They would rather live in really places I would consider shitty environments. But they people love the places that they're from. Most people do. Some people are always going to leave. I think I probably always would have left mm-hmm. just to travel. But, you know, people leave their homes like this, like ha- happening now, because they, if they stay, they die right. or they'd be tortured. Um, and so... You know, if they had a decent place to live, they wouldn't leave. They wouldn't be coming across our border, right. walking for three or seven days across the desert. And it's a really quite uh, obstacle course. It's horrendous. Right. The heat in the environment there, it's just, I mean, I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I don't think I could have done it when I was younger and in shape. Um, and there are like the drug war. We legalize, and we need to legalize drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the problems in Central and South America are because of the drug war, because of the corrupt system that it creates. Right. And it's our demand for those drugs that creates it. Um, our wars. You know, I don't know how to stop wars other than people just deciding they don't want to do it anymore. Mm. And apparently we're not there yet. No. But, um, you know, population, things like that. Uh, oh, did my stories? No. Yeah, you see, know, I remember your interviews. Another one is that uh, stories that Bowden worked on a lot and that I thought about and tried is that our CIA is involved with drug cartels all over the world. Okay, sure. And a lot of things that happen happen because of that. They happen through that relationship. And that's been reported and told by different people for number, you know, at least three decades now. Yeah. Nobody believes it, nobody cares. Nobody cares is the problem there. Apparently nobody cares. Or just the consolidation of the media to a few large corporations right, right. makes it so our news just come, is basically propaganda for the status quo for the power structure military industrial complex whatever call it rich people will own it on the media mm-hmm. people would rather consume that than independent news you know or news that's produced or stories that's produced by independents mm-hmm um, I remember your interview with Charles Bowden uh, about the Mexican border and that situation and him essentially saying, you know, the U S has no plan for this. You know, there is no right. mar- Marshall plan. Like we're not, we're right. not good. I'm glad they, you remember that. Yeah. yeah. Because they don't, you know, but they, the powers that be don't necessarily benefit financially from coming up with a plan. You know, it's, it's easier to, to continue to exploit. I think um, I'm not sure where that political will would come from, but, I do remember that specific conversation. Yeah, you know, I haven't read a whole lot of his work. I've only read bits and pieces, but uh, but he's he sounded like an interesting dude for sure. Yeah, I mean, he took his responsibility as a writer very seriously and basically worked until he died. And it killed him. That mm-hmm. life killed him. Yeah, or he died much younger. And you know, it's sad to see now that people don't really know. They don't. Read Bowden's work. He's not well known, and he's yeah. Anyway, what are you, Scott? What are you using for your markers there to say that it hasn't produced change? Um, like you know, how what would be? I guess I'm just trying to wrap my head around. Like you could, somebody could just easily make the argument. Well, shit would have been a lot worse if you didn't write what you wrote. You know, like how do you know it didn't make 
any kind of impact just because we still have wars in the world or something like that. You know, like what, what is it bringing it home that really makes you think that it's been, it's been kind of in vain? Well, I don't, you know, no offense, but just, you know, your podcast has, has how many listeners? Oh shit. None compared to you. Yeah. So, I mean, you're the one that's calling me, not major news corporations. Right. You know, they don't want to hear my side of it. So basically, you know, for whatever reason, I don't have much of a, and it's not very, I have a very strong audience. People really like my work. I get letters and emails from people a lot, even now. And so I don't want to be disrespectful to that, but it's just not the, not the numbers that are needed, you know, mm-hmm. might be fringe. preaching to the choir too. Um, maybe people that maybe are, I don't really like preaching to the choir. I guess that's how it ends up. Well, I just wonder there might be self-selection people that are going to be challenged by what you have to say might just tune out. More, more. I never tune in. Yeah, they don't listen to my podcast. Yeah, that's more of what I meant. Um, you know, I I'm not retired. I'm going to keep working after I get this house built, and I'm even working now on stories. Okay, yes. I have been slowing down. Podcasting mm-hmm. is very difficult and demanding, and the way the things I was doing stories about was just I just felt like I reached kind of a dead end. With yeah. The, I, the first podcast I did was about how I think the, our culture is really split into two or three cultures that have different cosmologies, different ideologies. So we see everything completely different. And that divide only got worse. That was in 2015 before Trump announced his first black, first bid, you know, mm-hmm. or second. But um, things just got worse, more divided. And um, you know, I, just, I, I didn't really have, I thought about it a lot. Basically, everything I was doing was trying to figure out a way to bridge that divide or, you know, make it go away somehow, or at least lessen it. And I just thought things getting worse and worse and worse to the point where it seemed like there was going to be a war, yeah. you know, before the election of 2022. And then the January 6th thing happened. I really regret not being there. But even though I could see how bad it was, I just never thought that would happen, that they would actually get into the Capitol because the Capitol's not that hard to protect. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I told my friend, um, you know, when Trump said, come to Washington, it'll be wild. I said, there's no way they're going to take the Capitol. That's just, you can put station guys with guns around there and they just not going to happen. But the guys with guns didn't show up. Yeah. They left the Capitol Police just completely helpless and stranded. Sure. They chose not to. And I just didn't think, well, somebody did. I don't yeah. know who it was mm-hmm. that made that decision uh, to not protect the Capitol. But anyway, that was pretty dramatic. And yeah, I don't know. I just felt like... um the way I was seeing things was this divide between religion and science. Okay. This separation. And I still don't think people have seen that or recognized that to any significant degree. And so I just feel like I'm yelling into the wind sort of thing. Because mm-hmm. it's hard. People who are science people just don't want to think about things in terms of religion. And people, religious, I don't know, Ilk don't it's the same way. They just don't want to see it. They have a lot of emotional baggage built up there, and it's really hard to uh, probably see it from the other person's point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, they both see the other side as real, you know, like evil, mm-hmm. the cause of all our problems. And you know, they don't divide. Most people don't divide things between a scientific worldview and a religious worldview. That's not how they're going through their day. But it was, it is how I do it when I talk to people. Mm-hmm. It's pretty clear. Yeah. Pretty quick, pretty quickly, which side they're on. Mm-hmm. 
Did you I watch? think there's a third way as well, which is like the old way back from the hunting and gathering days that's still around. So I think there's, I still think there's these three cult, three cosmologies. What's the third one? The, the it's like the old way. The okay, the way old the way. Hunter, hunters and gatherers. Gotcha. Answered the questions: Who are we? Where did we come from? Why are we here? And where are we going? Those are cosmological questions, and they're they're like the foundation of our belief system. The way we answer those questions. Is that the same thing you meant earlier by saying cultures are energy-based systems? Is that just a, a different way to put the same thing, or were you getting at something else there? Well, I think that the belief system sort of drives the energy system, the way that the energy is actually extracted and used and burned. Okay. Um, you know, are we doing it for God? Interesting. Okay. Are we doing it for science? You know. Mm-hmm. How do we just how do we justify it? You know. Mm-hmm. Did you watch the January sixth? Were you actually around a TV? I was. The day I it happened. Seeing that day, I didn't think anything was. I saw Trump speaking with that weird shot where there's like an X over his uh-huh. body. You know, uh-huh. it was a weird some type of glass membrane that was causing a weird reflection. And it was there was one shot. And it seemed like it was just from one camera and none of the major news organizations were even covering Trump's speech. It was so weird. They didn't cover it when it was happening. They chose not to cover it. And nobody, it's very strange, (laughs) but it was like a social media thing that was being posted around to watch it. Mm -hmm. Same shot to me. It was the same shot. But, um, so I saw that and then I went skiing and I, (laughs) for a few hours and I came back and, turned on the radio in the car and it's all hell broken loose yeah yeah and i i didn't go because i one i didn't think that was going to happen <laughs> right. and two i didn't want to get on a plane with a bunch of people during covid yeah i didn't want i just seemed dumb yeah and yeah. i've been to a lot of trump rallies a lot of protests before right and i just thought i knew what was going to happen but i was wrong yeah I, I turned I tuned in early just because I wanted to watch the the process through where they certify the votes and I just wanted to see who was gonna say no and you know who was gonna say yes. And then they just eventually cut to there's a new development here at the Capitol. And so I watched it really kind of from the first time major news network at least started showing it. And uh I was just riveted. You know, I mean I spent the next couple hours just kind of shaking my head still saying, holy shit, man, I can't believe this is going on. You know, like, first of all, if this is a BLM storming of the Capitol, they'd all be fucking wiped out, you know, right away. And then why, where, when's it going to stop? So it was, it was really gripping. I was, I actually felt like I was watching a significant event in our history. And I don't know if it will play that that way when we look back on it, but at the moment when I watched it, it was, it was pretty riveting. Yeah. Um, they thought they were patriots. Shock, they yeah. They, were they still brave. do. Yeah, they still do. Yeah. Patriotism, uh, Oscar Wilde said, remember, patriotism is a virtue of the vicious. Mm-hmm. So I've always liked that quote. Like, I just, <laughs> uh, um, and then the, uh, the I read, listened to some of yours when you interviewed those people at Trump protests and Trump rallies. And, uh, and you know, you telling me a couple minutes ago, you just kind of felt like you'd hit a dead end. I remember listening to some of those and just being uncomfortable listening to you talk to those people i couldn't imagine being there and um and listening to some of these i assume otherwise intelligent people saying this ridiculous shit uh, about the world and about trump and you know all this kind of stuff so i i was sometimes crawling in my skin a little bit just listening to you talk to these people so uh, well a lot of things get justified by thinking that god's on your side and those people you know that God's on their side. Right. And they're trying to, they are, you know, they have deep patriot, patriotic emotions concerning it. But the other people on the other side, the science side, have just as deep emotions about things they believe in as well that I think are horseshit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not that hard for me to listen to them. Okay. Because I, we need to know what they think. We need to know what people are saying in order to understand what's happening and why. 
if you don't talk to people, you're just in the dark completely. But you know, yeah, I'm a I'm an old white man, so what the fuck <laughs> do I? Know? Things are different now. What can what should and should not be said and what should and should not be covered and how you context it. Yeah, I bet. So, I, you know. Yeah. God on our side, that old Bob Dylan song. You remember that Bob Dylan song? What is it? What's the words? Give me maybe five seconds. I'll pull it up. Um, my name it ain't nothing. My age, it means less. The country I come from is called the Midwest. I was taught and brought up here, the laws to abide, and that the land that I live in has God on its side. And, and then he goes through skirmishes. So the history books tell the Calvary's charged and the Indians fell. The Indians died and the country was young with God on our side, you know, and then it goes to the civil war, uh, the first war, the second war. And so the end, he says, um, now I'm leaving. I'm weary as hell. The confusion I'm feeling, no tongue can tell the words fill my head and fall to the floor that if God's on our side, he'll stop the next war. So it's kind of an interesting, like using, you know, religion, as you've said, as a justification, you know, for a lot of things. But that uh, when you just said that God on our side reminded me, the Neville brothers have a real pretty version of it too with Aaron Neville singing. So, huh. Yeah. Um, anything else? Like is there anything else you wanted to say or ask? What I would like to happen is for there to be a worldwide holiday okay, uh, twice a year on the equinoxes um, when the sun is over the equator. Okay. Where everybody who wants to eats hallucinogenic drugs, LSD, mushrooms, whatever you can get your hands on. Okay. So that everybody is tripping and hallucinating all around the world at the same time. Okay. And I think that would help us have a better conception of the biosphere and how everything is interconnected because when i'm on hallucinogenic drugs that's a very powerful emotion and feeling the okay. interconnectedness of things okay and i'd like it to be called the equinoxium 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 but i'm i'm afraid to promote it or to say anything about it because uh, i guess i just I'm being lazy right now, but <laughs> if I start a podcast again, I'm going to start with that. Okay. The risk is that some people will freak out because it does happen. Some people have bad trips. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And But like even Ken Kesey, I think, had some regret about that hmm. as he got older. Or maybe they just punished him to the point where he felt some remorse. But um so that's why I haven't done mm -hmm. it. Still mm -hmm. thinking of that, whether the good would outweigh the bad by a lot. Yeah, maybe you can find ways to mitigate the bad. I don't know, you know, like you have a have a plan on how it would actually, you know, just kind of sure it's pure and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, worldwide. No, I don't think that's going to happen. But <laughs> um, so it's a dangerous proposition. But so is the Earth becoming like Mars. Right, right, right. I'll try to think of the word, what it would be if the Earth became like Mars. Okay. You can let me know. You have Maybe we don't have a word yet. Then you can create one. Yeah. Like Equinoxium. Yeah. All yeah. right. That's great. Okay, good All luck. Right. Thanks, Scott. Uh -huh. Take care. That was the journalist and host of the Home of the Brave podcast, Scott Carrier. I hope you enjoyed the conversation, and if you did, please like, rate, and share the podcast on all the usual places. This was a real interesting interview for me. I first approached him only two or three days before we ended up talking, so it was kind of a whirlwind to get my thoughts together. I don't think he does very many interviews, and I was feeling a little bit uncomfortable taking up so much of his time, as he strikes me as a very thoughtful but guarded person. Or at least not easy to approach as a stranger. So I was slightly wary going in, but found it a fun and challenging conversation. I thank him for taking this time, and I think he minimizes his impact to a degree. 
His stories are beautiful, and even the heavy ones, or maybe especially the heavy ones, make the world a finer place. I'll put a link to his podcast on my page, and I'll specifically link to the one I mentioned in the introduction, but I encourage you to spend some time there. Willie Vlaughton, the musician and writer I interviewed in 2020, is playing the music behind me. This song is the bus ride to Reno, and the first song was North Line main theme. As an exercise in public sociology, I encourage you to sign up for the blog, which will allow you to make comments directly after each post, and hopefully we can generate some dialogue. If you feel like supporting the blog financially, either with a one-time donation or recurring monthly amount, you can click on the yellow donate button. If you have any questions or comments, send an email to jr at oursociallandscape.com. Thank you for listening.